welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegel. How you doing on this Wednesday night, buddy? Wednesday evening, I am doing well, man. Tomorrow's my Friday again. There you go. <laughs> There you go. Another That's one. That's what I like to hear, man. That's what Another I like to hear. But, but looking at my Friday and looking at the weather for this weekend, buddy, um, hurricane's coming. Yeah. Yeah, we got, got a little uh, little rainy weekend coming up. Rainy, cold, going to probably miss baseball practice tomorrow. And, and I'm we, we had a game tonight. Uh, our field was borderline okay to play. There were still puddles and everything, and it was as much rain as they say we're going to get tomorrow into Friday. We're not playing till next week sometime. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a soggy one the next couple of days. So I figure y'all are probably not going to see any games until next week. So no, not good for all. you if that's what you were looking for, all things considered. If not, it is what it is. What did you say? Fall ball, we do not reschedule. <laughs> oh, it's rescheduled, but tonight was a rescheduled game for Monday. So it's kind of ah. funny. But I think we we also needed to. I think our coach saw the weather, and it's like, well, we're not going to play Saturday. or not going to play Thursday. We're not going to play Saturday. So if we don't get them in, it'll be almost two weeks between games, which is yeah, kind of funny. So got got to got to got to make it happen. And but this is sort of the last week we can like really really do it because I mean time change this weekend the next if like if we can't get a field at five or we don't have one of the field lights you know we're not gonna be able to play I mean heck we were out there the last 20 minutes it was starting to get dusky so it was kind of pushing it man so uh yeah so uh your, your wife posted something you guys had a murder mystery tonight what yeah I went up to a neighbor's house did a little uh Murder mystery in a box. Um, I guess they get like a monthly thing and decided uh, we do it together. We solved the mystery, man. It was Captain uh, Bayless. Captain uh, Bayless? I, yeah, I, I made the joke. It was uh, Skip Per Bayless. Skip Per Bayless. Yeah. <laughs> well, some of his takes are murdering because they're just that bad. <laughs> I mean, you know. But I guess that's the way you get ahead in sports media nowadays is just make asinine statements and then never, ever come off of them, right? Yeah, you pick a guy, you pick a player you hate and just rip them regardless of the situation, regardless of the facts presented. Like, that's – he's got, like, three or four guys he just rips on regularly, and then he just throws in other bad takes for teams he doesn't like, and then he just puts a bow on it, and that's what he does. Even when it's wrong. Oh, yeah. It's even better when it's wrong. It's all about about clicks and eyes, man. It doesn't matter whether he's right. It is true. Clicks are are the important part, man. All right, well, Brian, let's roll into it. Know the enemy. This week, Hokies travel west to Louisville to play the Cardinals. Cardinals two and four overall, one and four in conference play, but they are coming off. Um, one of the better performances of the year against FSU at a 48-16 win. All right, we'll kick it off with the offense. They are they are loaded with a three-headed monster at quarterback, wide receiver, and running back Malik Cunningham, the quarterback, Tutu Atwell, and JV and Hawkins. So, Brian, I want to start with Cunningham. Let's start the quarterback sure. just because he's got the ball in his hands every time, right? 
Yep. All right. For the season so far, putting up really good numbers, 1,396 passing yards, 12 touchdowns, five interceptions, 62.9 completion percentage, adding on to that 174 rushing yards and three touchdowns. Now, although the rushing yards aren't where they were last year comparatively, um, there is no doubt this is going to be the biggest dual threat the Hokies have faced all year. Um, you know, we saw Sam Hartman run last week for a touchdown, but those guys compared to this guy, it's night and day. Um, 15th in passing yards, 27th in passing efficiency. And overall, he's really only had one bad game, Brian. I mean, and that was the pit game you kind of were, we, we peaked at a few weeks ago where he threw three interceptions, um, only 170 yards. And a 42% completion. So, you know, you got an athletic guy back at quarterback who obviously can sling the rock. Um, Brian, what do you see out of Malik Cunningham? Um, definitely a guy that can beat you with his legs, like you said there, man. Um, tr- the first, I'd say, true dual threat we've had here. I think other guys are have been athletic quarterbacks. This guy's a true dual threat who can dynamically beat you with his legs and his arm. Um, they get him the ball in, in the running game a lot of different ways. Sometimes that's a scramble, but uh, primarily the way they draw it up in terms of a a call run for the quarterback is going to be a lot of QB draws. Um, so you'll see him kind of influence um, with kind of a drop step, and then he'll just take off usually up the middle between the tackles there, um, try to find a crease, get to the second level, make some guys miss, try to bust a big one. Um, He's also a quarterback that for not being the biggest guy, he doesn't shy away from contact. Um, I heard something on the broadcast where they were talking about the quarterback room, um, talked about we don't run out of bounds, we don't slide, we we fight for every yard. So that that's something that has kind of come back to bite them a couple times because Cunningham was banged up pretty bad in the pit game towards the end there, especially that, that last big shot he took. Oh yeah. Um, he came off the field once against Notre Dame. Um, so he, he's going to take some shots and there's going to be some opportunities there, um, there for us. But, uh, when he's not running, he throws a, a pretty decent deep ball. Um, that's what they like to do is attack downfield with the football. Um, they're not, they're not a dink and dunk team. They're not a team that's going to kind of throw those intermediate routes a whole lot. They're going to throw some screens to the wide receivers and then take shots. So uh, look for him to do that with his arm. Some of that could be because his intermediate arm accuracy is not the greatest. Um, he'll, he'll miss on throws. He'll wait too long on throws. Um, but if it's not there and he sees an opening, he'll, he likes to climb the pocket early in the, uh, after the snap, and then if it's not there, he he's not afraid to take off and make things happen with his legs. So there's going to have to be a lot of discipline from the defense against this guy. All right, so discipline, and then something you mentioned just a couple seconds ago: the deep shot, the deep balls. And buddy, does he have himself a wide receiver to throw the ball to in two two at well, man? I mean, he's no doubt his favorite target. Five touchdowns this year, 450 receiving yards, 32 receptions at 14 per receptions. Um, and this season, his best games have come against some of the better athletic teams, athletically yep. gifted teams with Miami and FSU, both over 100 plus yards. 
and he's scary, man. I mean, this guy is a sub 4-4 guy, was clocked at 4-3-8 um, last year in a 40, so he can get on it. Top 10 in receiving yards in the country, and he is leading the ACC, or should say tied for the lead. Now, Brian, you watched, obviously, his film. Does he play as fast as these stats are saying and what that clock says, or is it he plays fast or he doesn't play fast in pass, he's just fast? Uh, he's a track athlete that also is fast on the field. Um, okay. See him run by guys, um, run through zones. Um, definitely likes to take more sh- – he likes to hit him either downfield with the shot or in the screen game where he can kind of work in space a little bit. So they're not trying to uh, run him over the middle where he's getting hit a ton by, by, by linebackers and things like that. But what he does well is – He's going to outrun your guy if you're you're playing that man coverage. Um, if you're giving half field responsibility to a safety, that's not really something you want to do a whole lot of either. Um, it happened against the FSU game. He ran by a guy just for a touchdown right up the sideline. Um, uh, you know, he's going to be a guy that we have to keep in front of us the whole game if we're going to contain him. Um, he's only an average route runner. He's not not a great route runner, but but what he does well is is work in space and just take the top off of defense. And that's kind of scary when you say that, Brian, because I think about the UNC game and multiple times being beat over the top. And I know we were we were shellacked and we were shorthanded, but it worries you. When a guy's four three eight, man, man, the first thing you say is if we try going man and he gets beat and they put one on the money like we have seen numerous times in Louisville's game this year, it's three plays in there in the end zone. And if that were to happen early, the way we've been playing, especially on offense, it could be a very long day for us. But, you know, as as bothersome as that is and as worrisome as that is, the third head of this monster is absolute no slouch. JV and Hawkins has 693 yards and six touchdowns, 11 receptions at 85 yards, in three of his six games played, he's went over 150. Um, six yards per rush, including last week, 10.9 against FSU. Um, he's already improved those receptions from last year, and he's kind of slowly becoming an all-around bat, um, which is really good for Louisville because they really don't have to substitute him out. He can stay in there the whole time. 693 yards, there's only two people ahead of him in the country, one person ahead of him in the conference. Khalil Herbert's the guy in the conference. Yep. And, you know, it's it's pretty wild. Um, top 25 in yards per carry. So Brian, I, I, we worry about the guys going over the top, but they've got a guy that can run. So, how you know, what do we got to do to slow him down, and what does he do really well that's going to potentially cause problems for the Hokies? So, another thing with, with, with Hawkins, man, we, we were talking about a track athlete at wide receiver with Atwell. We've got another track athlete at running back with Hawkins. Um, kind of a big play guy if you get him to the second level. Um, really dangerous in the open field. Um, but he's not going to grind out drives like some of the guys we saw with Wake Forest or even some of the guys we saw in UNC. He is definitely more of a feast or famine, hit the big play, or it's probably just a modest gain to a loss. Um, 
Yeah, I've, I've seen him thrown for a lot of negative plays, but then they'll turn around and hit just a big chunk play with him. And obviously, you know, you get 30 on one carry and minus five on another, you still have a pretty damn good average there um, on yeah. per carry. So that, that's kind of what you're looking at with, with Hawkins is that he's not going to beat you, you know, five to eight yards at a time. He's going to beat you by hitting those big gashing runs and get 20 to 30 yards or go for the big one. Um, give you a prime example, man. Um, he had a, a big run against Pittsburgh. I think it was like a 70 or 75 yard touchdown, but he had less than 10 total yards from scrimmage the rest of the game um, in the, in the, in the running attack. So he was still used some in the passing game, but if you're able to keep him from getting to the second level, you can make him look pedestrian. But if you can't do that, he's going to run up and down the field. Now, Brian, you mentioned something with Cunningham. You mentioned wide receiver screens, but you didn't mention running back screens. Is is he strictly just a check down guy or something like that? Or maybe like, you know, up the seam or something. And not really in so the screen game because the way they use him primarily, man, is they use him a lot in the checkdown game, but they also will kind of run him on some wheel routes. Um, so I've seen okay. him catch about two or three of those, you know, 20 yards downfield, 30 yards downfield. One of them actually, um, I think it was Notre Dame was an easy touchdown that Cunningham actually threw short and he kind of had to fall forward on it. And by the time he reached the ball out, he was right at the one yard line. So, Okay. Um, yeah, could have been a touchdown for him there, but wasn't because of the throw. So, um, got to keep an eye on him when he leaves the backfield as well, because he can still bite you, especially on those wheel routes. Um, most of the check down stuff, they're getting the ball to him in space. Um, either a quick swing pass or a, a true check down if, if the primary target isn't there. So still got to tackle him in those instances. Cause he, like, again, if he does get to the second level or into some wide open spaces there, he can hurt you. Got it, Brian. All right, let's turn let's turn away from the three-headed monster and kind of look at some other pieces of their offense. Now, overall, their total offense are getting 416 yards a game, which is good for 43rd in the country. So, not terrible, not yeah. in the league. Um, and they're pretty balanced on offense, where really neither the pass or the rush really exploded up into the top 20. Where a team like you know Wake Forest, really their running game is what carries them. Yeah. Now. They're very efficient in the red zone, converting 95% of their chances. Um, and, you know, 15 of their 22 touchdowns they scored have come in the red zone. So they get down there, majority of the time they're scoring touchdowns. Now, this team, when you lose bookend tackles, one who is an absolute beast from Highland Springs, in Mikael Becton, you're going to give up sacks, and they are. They're giving up about two and a half, two and a half sacks per game, 63rd in the country, so in the bottom half. They also give up around nine tackles for loss a game as well. Um, so there is – you just mentioned with Hawkins about he's not really going to grind you. So if you can get him in the backfield and get him down, you're putting them behind the chains. Um, but, again, they like to the chunk plays. So getting them behind the chains and then obviously, you know, Keeping them behind the change is going to be super important for the Hokies. But, you know, you know, wide receiver, you mentioned we got Tutu. You know, Des Fitzpatrick, Brandon Simmons, very good compliments to Tutu, not putting up the numbers he are, but not bad receivers at all. 
But one guy that we, me and you kind of discussed and you brought him to light was Marshawn Ford. Number 83, six foot two, 240 pound, tight end, halfback. Unranked hometown kid playing for him so far this year. 18 receptions, 189 yards and four touchdowns. Um, so Brian, what only are you seeing from him? But what else are you seeing like from their offensive line and this team in general with the other parts of the offense that aren't part of the three headed monster? So yeah, the big thing, uh, like I said, we highlighted Marshawn Ford, and he's kind of a kind of a do it all H back. Uh, he's usually going to be an H back instead of true inline tight end. Um, they like to do stuff with him out of the backfield, um, especially in the goal line area. So we talked about their red zone um, chances there. He does a great job blocking the red zone, but he also does a great job kind of getting out of the backfield, going in motion. Um, and just getting open for those touchdowns. He's had, I think, two or three, two or three of those, uh, those touchdowns have come in the red zone. He had another long one, I think, that he took to the house. Um, I believe it was against Florida State. Um, or one that I mean, he might have almost scored on that one. I can't remember if that was the one that got, uh, got moved back to the one yard line or not, but he's a dynamic player as well. Um, but their offensive line is, probably the weakest part of their offense. You mentioned losing two bookends, and you can definitely tell it, especially in the past game. Uh, Cunningham has taken a lot of shots this year. Uh, again, I noted earlier, you know, he, he got hit a lot against Pitt, got hit a pretty good amount against Notre Dame, got hit probably more than he should have considering how well they were moving the football against Florida State. So, you know, he's definitely a guy that's going to take a hit, and I think this offensive line is kind of more – finesse than power that's why you see some of those plays that Hawkins is running either get thrown for kind of negative yardage or bust out for the big one if they're able to to get on their blocks and stay on their blocks they end up you know doing pretty well but if if they don't stay on the blocks then a lot of times Hawkins gets pulled down for no gain or you know loss of a couple yards so it'll be interesting to see how we attack that offense offensive line and kind of make them think more than they need to. I think that's what we're going to need to do is, is confuse them a little bit and try to take advantage of the fact that they aren't kind of the, the road graders. They're more of a fit up and see what happens type offensive line. So hopefully right. we do well with it. All right. Well, let me answer this, Brian. Two prong question. If we slow down Cunningham, Tutu and Hawkins, can we win this game? And, how do we slow them down? How do we attack this team? You know, what I would do to slow down Cunningham in the running game is I would probably let a guy like uh, Tisdale spy Cunningham pretty much the whole game, especially on obvious passing situations. Um, you don't want the quarterback to beat you with his legs, especially when he's dropping back in the in the pocket. So if he tries to escape the pocket, I'd like to have a guy that's athletic like Tisdale um, but also a good tackler um, to be able to track him and bring him to the ground. Um, the second thing is, I mean, don't let Tutu Atwell beat you deep. Um, make him work <laughs> underneath. Make make him earn the yards. Don't give him 30, 40-yard gains in the air. Make him have to get them in either in the screen game or some of those um, hitches or outs or things like that that they like to throw in the intermediate game. Um, and make them have to catch the ball, secure the ball, make Cunningham have to deliver an accurate ball and not give him those cheap big shots down the field. Well, how about hit them? They're, they're not 
all the guys, I think all three of them are like five nine. I think Tutu is like one seventy. Hawkins is like one eighty five or one eighty five, one ninety. Hawkins is like one ninety five. They're they're not big guys at all. Yeah, and that's the big thing is that I think if you can make them, you know, punish them a little bit make them pay for it. Um, I've seen Hawkins put the ball on the ground several times, so there's going to be some opportunities there. If you kind of get him in a in a jam there, um, you know, I've seen guys pull the ball out on him, so that that's something that we'll try to take advantage of, I'm sure. We've had uh, some success punching the ball out, like we saw against Boston College. Hopefully we can maybe replicate some of that. Um, I think some of the delay blitzes would come in handy here that we saw early in the season to kind of confuse Cunningham. Um, when he when he does drop back and the most important thing we need to do is just tackle tackle well when we get to a position to make a tackle we make the tackle Um, because if you don't make a tackle and these guys have area to work that's going to be problematic yeah Brian you talk about tackling the last few things I'll hit here is Third down wise, they're converting 40% of their third downs. They're converting 60% of their third down of their fourth downs, excuse me. And, you know, the problems we've had, it has not been consistent, but it's sporadically that Wake Forest, it was that drive. It was just like we could never stop them. And when you see a team that's converting, you know, 40 and 60, it's like, is this another game where third and three, they get it? Third and six, we stop them one yard short, but they take the risk on fourth and they push it. I think that could be a big issue for us. Now, I did see one thing. You talked about getting stripped out. We've mentioned the interceptions. They have 12 turnovers so far. So that could be good for us, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we definitely need to turn them. If we're not turning them over at least probably two times in this game, I, I don't feel very good. All right. So that that's now, okay. that, that's my assessment. <laughs> now, now the other piece is they are. We look at ourselves last week with the highest amount of penalties and penalty yards in a Virginia Tech game under Justin Fuente. They are significantly a undisciplined team all the time. Um, they're 79th in the country with 332 penalty yards, and basically in all their ACC games, at least six penalties somewhere during the game so a little bit of undiscipline there um something you probably would expect as a team is essentially getting turned around from the dumpster fire so hopefully unlike last week it's them making the penalties and giving us the first downs or backing themselves up and putting themselves in bad situations on both sides of the ball yes yeah, so i've seen them uh seen some holding some uh some face masks um, a couple PIs. So, I mean, they, they'll commit kind of penalties across the board. It's not any one area that, that you can really highlight, but, uh, you know, they, they definitely, they're disciplinely something to be desired, just like we played last week. Hopefully we can stick more to our average and hopefully they'll stick to theirs. And I think we'll be okay in that category. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's flip to the defense, take a quick look at that. Um, just a little statistics and data here that, Total defense is 44th in the country, giving up 383 yards a game at about 5.73 per play. Scoring defense, essentially giving up about 27.5 points. Um, 187 rushing yards per game at 4.91 per touch. Again, you feel with what we do on offense, that hopefully 
can transit translate to big numbers in that game. Um, now one interesting piece, Brian, and, and I don't know if you saw anything while you're going through the tape, but they only give up about 18 first downs per game. It seems like on the low side where when we talked about BC and a couple of the other teams, those teams were more in the low twenties. So that that's kind of interesting to me there. Is it, do they get them off the field or is it, no, they give up three big plays and then you're off the field with a touchdown. Um, okay. In the sack department, getting about two and a half sacks per game, seven tackles for loss. So they do have a way to create some pressure. Um, you know, they've only forced four turnovers, two fumbles, two interceptions. Um, so they're minus eight in the yeah. turnover category, which is probably one reason they're two and four right now and not at three and three or maybe even four and two. Um, and then last piece I always like to look at third down conversions. They're giving up 45% third down conversion, which translates to 72nd in the country. So not good at all, Brian. So just looking at this, Brian, and then taking a look at what you did with their scheme, what does this team look like and what can we, um, what are we looking for on this team? Sure. So uh, the big thing I'll, I'll start with, they, uh, they're a base 3-4 team. So, you know, not something we've really seen to this point. We've seen some 3-3, three, three, some 4-2, some and some 2-4-5. Some um, but th- their base is going to be a 3-4, um, but they do mix fronts. So, like, on obvious passing downs, they're going to run the nose off, run an extra uh, DB on, um, and kind of go with a 2-4-5 uh, look on some obvious passing downs there. Um, but when I looked at the tape, man, so their D-line is not great. Probably the weakest part of their defense. Looks like that's an area that we should be able to attack, but they have really athletic linebackers and their secondary plays really opportunistic in, in zone coverage. When it's a, a passing down, um, this defensive success is kind of predicated on getting pressure on those downs and they'll, they'll do it with the, with kind of a variety of uh, kind of blitz packages and they'll switch up the coverage behind those blitz packages. So they'll blitz and, and, give you a man free look, in which case we would need to find the mismatch. If they give a kind of cover three combo coverage, uh, we need to look for the check down or the crossing route to take advantage of some of those linebackers and coverage. And if it's kind of a cover three zone blitz, we just need to find the void and see if we've got a, a route in that area and, and take advantage there. But that's what they like to do on, on the passing downs is, you know, bring that pressure and, try to make you make a mistake or get a sack, you know, whatever it may be. So, but they, they play a good shell when they're in that cover three look. Um, so we're going to, again, like we, like I talked about last week, we're going to have to kind of take our, our shots underneath that and not keep trying to press the ball deep down the field. Uh, <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> stop throwing fades. It's okay. Occasionally it's not okay. Every time we get in third long. um so i'd like to you know hopefully see us utilize some of the quick passing game and uh you know they usually play more of a straight cover three um but occasionally they'll go into like a quarter quarter half look and um like i said when they sometimes go um on those blitzes it'll be kind of a man free look so a single high safety 
All right, Brian. Brian, you mentioned the two athletic linebackers really stood out to you. And, you know, that's C.J. Avery, the 5'11", 230-pound inside linebacker who was a composite four-star coming out of Mississippi, uh, a top 247 player in the country. So far this year, 40 tackles, one interception, three tackles for loss, and one sack. And then the other is Monty Montgomery, the JUCO transfer, um, 32 tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss, four sacks. Kind of just looking at that and then hearing you talk about it, you know, am I wrong in saying Avery's the backbone of the defense, but Montgomery's the guy you kind of worry about? That's a pretty accurate assessment. Like Avery's the all-around guy. Um, he does a lot of things really well. And Monty Montgomery is the disruptor. He's great in pursuit. He shoots gaps in the backfield. He's good at rushing the passer when they blitz. Led the team in sacks last year. So um, that tells you something there. But C.J. Avery, I mean, he's he's the balanced kind of do-it-all guy. He tackles well. He plays well in coverage. Um, tackles in space. Uh, he's had a pick against uh, Pitt and returned it for some decent yardage. Throws guys for some tackles for loss in the running game. So he really does it all. He's the sound player. He's where he needs to be. While Monty Montgomery's more of the, the the freestyler that will completely disrupt your play if he guesses right. All right, Brian. What are some things like you saw against uh, some of the games that work that we might implement? Yeah, so um, I'll say something, and you can tell me what you think about this. Uh, Pitt rushed for over 150 yards yeah. against this defense. Well, that's knowing Pitt and how their offense works and knowing they gas for 150, that makes me feel better about <laughs> us running the football this week. Yeah, we, that should at least put us in the 250-yard category just by default so. there. <laughs> just by default, we should be in 250 if, if Pitt was – kind of over that two one fifty hump. So um I saw something, I'm gonna say it. We you know oh, we, yeah. we've been talking about this play a lot recently. Jet sweeps were successful against this defense. <laughs> were, were jet sweeps <laughs> ran inside the six yard line, short side that you saw? No. Oh no. okay. They weren't oh. ran to they weren't run to the short side inside the 15 yard line, but they were ran and they were ran successful. Um, okay. This team is not wake when it comes to setting the edge. I'm going to well, go ahead and get that out there right now. They are, they are not as sound as wake was at setting the edge. Um, so what that tells me is that we should have more success with the outside zone. That's kind of been our bread and butter this year. Herbert should be able to get the edge with more consistency. We should be able to use, um, Blackshear and our wide receivers in more of the jet motion game and in some of the outside runs, um, whether it's the sweep or, or some of the other um, items that we've kind of worked in here and there. So I like that, and I'm hoping that we can throw the ball well enough in kind of the different levels of the defense that we need to so they can't just keep throwing a, a hard eight box at us the whole game, because if we can do that, we should be able to solve them up. Um, I did see that both Pitt and Notre Dame had some success in like the counter and screen game. So I, I expect to see some of that thrown out there as well. Okay. They, they like to get kind of fooled by some of the window dressing and, and motion before a snap. So 
um, might be able to get them to over pursue or, or look the wrong direction at the snap of the football. So there might be some opportunities there. Got it, Brian. So again, we're, we're you're, you're talking and saying good things, but I'm, <laughs> I'm always concerned about who's the, the controls. So let's, let's go, let's go this, let's go to pivotal players. Cause obviously, you know, we, we've got to know who we should be looking at as Hokie fans this week um, and kind of deciding how we're going to win this game. And we landed on one, one because he literally played his worst game as a Hokie Hen and hookers won, and Hen and hookers yeah. won also for the other reason. And you wouldn't let me put him on here, but I'll let you explain. <laughs> All right. So hookers on here because number one, Hooker played a bad game last last week and needs to get out there and redeem himself. But number two is that we're going to need Hooker both running and passing this week. We're not going to be able to settle on him just having success in the running game and only hitting a few passes while throwing three picks. We can't do that again. We need him running the inverted veer with the reads. We need him with the zone reads. We need him to actually be reading this um, situation and not just it being – a jet sweep or an outside zone. We need to have him reading the play, whether it's play side on the inverted beer, whether it's backside on the zone read and making plays with his legs, but also throwing to those wide receivers on those quick passes outside crossing routes, which are going to be important to kind of beat those man underneath coverages and screens to take advantage of some of their over pursuit and uh, ability to fall for the, uh, the, the, um, window dressing before the snap. So he's going to be the play, but what's going to be more important is that, as you said, Brad Cornelson needs to call a much better game than he called against Wake for Hooker to have that, that type of game as well. So hopefully that they're both in sync this week and Hooker plays well and executes and Cornelson is calling a game that doesn't make a bad situation worse like he did last week. Absolutely. All right, number two on the list, Brian, something you already mentioned, jet sweeps. We put Raheem Blackshear because I will say this. Last week in the Wake Forest game, when the jet sweeps were called not deep down inside the red zone, they were a very effective play. It, they, they, the only two times they didn't go positive when we ran short side down the end zone. The others we saw, what, like a 12 and then a 10-yard gain and I think one more like six yard game. So positive yardage, you know, for the Hokies where it's, that's really great to have because as you just pointed out, you said you felt a couple of those jet sweep calls last week. They were strictly jet sweeps. There were no reads on it. It It looked like hooker was just carrying out a fake, not actually reading, especially on the one, unless T. It didn't look like he was reading because the one that he gave to Blackshear inside the 10 that just got completely ate up yes. um, for like a seven yard loss. Uh-huh. If he keeps it, he walks into the end zone. Oh yeah. He's got a blocker and there's only one guy that could stop him and he's got space to maneuver. So we've, I, I we've think he leverage. walks in there. So unless he completely misread there, but he, it looked like he wasn't even carrying out his fake strong. So I don't think it was a true read, but I could be wrong. Um, but that, that's what I'm, that's what's in my head based on what I saw there. So 
for Blackshear, it's going to be two things here, man. So I want us to start running more 21 personnel. We ran it some against Wake, um, especially when we had Blackshear on the field on the jet sweeps. I want more of it, and I want more three wide receiver sets um, versus some of the the sets up there with Mitchell and Gallo. Um, just because I think I want to spread this defense out a little bit. They have two linebackers that are very good. I don't need more guys in the box gumming up the running game. So I want to see three wide receiver sets. I want to see 21 personnel where we can use Blackshear in the slot, in the wing, and maybe even, you know, getting a traditional carry from the backfield and putting Herbert somewhere else. So there's so many options that you can do there. I know I've talked about it. Mm-hmm. Probably ad nauseum at this point. Probably listeners are getting a little tired of Brian. Stop talking about twenty-one personnel. No, you know what? No, we we haven't found a consistent third wide receiver. Why not leave this guy on the field? It's it's very true. And the other piece about you talk about running twenty-one, running three wide sets, and things like that, Brian, is you noticed last week, and this is something we you didn't see it until a little further into reviewing the Wake Forest game later this week. A lot of our sets were what two man routes. We were keeping six and seven to do a max protect where it's like we're taking shots. And you're sitting here saying, A, it drove you crazy because you knew to beat that team, we needed underneath. We needed to little, little pieces here and there. Yep. And to your point, they were loading the box, right? Well, if we had put Trey and even James and Raheem in some way and you Force them to well. If you still want to play A in the box, that means you're leaving nobody behind you. In the cases where what we were doing with putting Gallo and Mitchell in is essentially well, now you can still leave one safety out back to help with the deep passes. So yeah, all right. Let's let's jump to number three on the offensive pivotal players. Brian, you mentioned earlier. We mentioned them by name with Avery and Montgomery, the dynamic inside linebacker duo. Who's the third most important person? It's going to be the interior line because, I mean, those are going to be the guys that are going to be responsible for neutralizing the nose and blocking those inside linebackers consistently throughout the game. So they're going to need to have a really good game for us to to be able to have the big night we're going to need in the running game to win this game. So I look for them. I mean, Hoffman in particular, he's going to be pivotal in – not only neutralizing the nose on most plays, but also some of the handoffs in the zone where you know he's gonna you know combo with a guard up to the up to a linebacker. So look for him to have a big game if we're gonna be have, have some success against this defense. Um, you know we're also talking about Nestor Hud and uh, and Lester Smith needing to have some some big games as well, depending on what iteration of the offensive line ends up out there, whether it's, um, you know, Tanuta back at right tackle or whether they go back with, with uh, Nestor back at right tackle with HUD at, uh, at right guard. So be interesting to see if, if there's any shifts there because, you know, we noted last week that Tanuta had kind of a rough game. So I don't know if there's going to be more fidgeting around with those rotations or if they're going to stick with what they had and just chalk it up to Tanuta still working his way back into the, the swing of things. Absolutely. Brian, I, I think you put we put them on here, too, because of what you mentioned about this defense. It's not a good defensive line. The secondary has to take chances to be successful. 
if the interior offensive line neutralizes Montgomery and Avery, then it it could be a very long night for Louisville. Or if anything, they know they're going to be in a track meet against us. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's look to the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, number one, we gave it away earlier, but we'll still mention it. <laughs> you know, it was the first name Brian mentioned about containing Malik Cunningham, Alan Tisdale. We talked about Tisdale. The reason I like Tisdale in this is because it's a linebacker that you can use in the spiral because of his athleticism versus having to take Connor or one of the safeties out of coverage um, in the zone. So I like that a little bit better. And it's a guy that's kind of more in the middle of the um, defense versus kind of those edge guys where they like to attack. So look for Tisdale to be key there in the spiral. Um, hopefully that, comes to fruition in terms of, of, of what I think the matchup is there, because I think he would be perfect to to kind of neutralize Cunningham in the quarterback run game. Um, you know, we talked about second here is going to be those defensive backs, man. Um, and, and it's funny when we went through this, I, we were, Brian was like defensive back and I was like, oh, the corners. Yeah, it makes sense. And you're like, no, the defensive back. I'm like the safeties. And you're like, no, Brian's basically oh. saying everybody in the back end. <laughs> and it's more here saying everyone's job that has any deep responsibility in this game, do not let Tutu Atwell get behind you. That's 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 the primary thing. If you if you do nothing else, I want the second thing I want you to do is tackle, but the first thing I want you to do is not let Tutu Atwell get behind you. If you do those two things well, we're probably going to be okay. Absolutely. At least in the passing game. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Third one, Brian. And I think you probably put these on here because we are going to be missing a primary starter in Gerard Hewitt in the first half, you know, with the targeting penalty, um, not going to be there, but also we're reading uh, Mike Barber, Richmond Times saying it looks like Deshaun Crawford is close to getting back. Um, we're also seeing that Kendricks could get to start to putting some more size up front. And why do you feel other than, is it just, is it just having Hewitt not there for a half? Is that one reason you wanted to put him in this slot or is there some other reasons, Brian? There's some other reasons. Um, you know, we've kind of thrown it back and forth. Obviously Hewitt is our most experienced player. He's kind of the, the juice guy on this team. Um, and Pollard is more of the, he's athletic, but he's undersized. I'm interested to see how we get some of these bigger defensive tackles playing some more snaps for us. Cause we've seen some success with, with Fuga in there playing yeah. significant snaps. Um, he's had success essentially not getting moved out of the pocket as some of the, 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 the gaps that some of the smaller guys have. Um, I'm interested to see how. Um, Kendricks and Crawford can hold up because they're more of the like 290, not not quite what you, what we're looking for probably in this newer uh, scheme on the defensive side, but closer than kind of our two frontline guys have been so far this season. So I, I'm hoping for maybe some more success with some of these bigger guys lining up in there. Hopefully they won't get moved off again. This is not you know, a road grader type team. Um, I'll call the, the offensive line that we played against UNC kind of like a finesse power team. This is definitely more of a straight finesse team. Um, 
so I'm hoping that we're going to, we're going to have some success at, at shooting those gaps, getting the penetration and making Hawkins not be able to get to the second level where he can really do some damage. So if we, if we can have some success there, I feel good about it. Like I said, Hewitt not being in there is definitely a blow leadership wise and energy wise, but I'm hoping that some of the um, matchups that we have might end up being in our favor a little bit more, having more, um, more size there in the interior. You got it, Brian. All right, well, let's move on. Let's get our predictions out here for the game. Brian, I led last week, fell flat on my face, so I'm going to let you lead this week. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. I think this is going to be a tight I think it's going to be a tight one. I, I have faith that our offense is going to bounce back. So I think we're going to – play a lot better game, a lot more sound football, not make the errors. I mean, we had a combination of turnovers and penalties last week. We we haven't really seen that in a long time. So give me the Hokies 35-31. All right, Brian. Let's put you down for 35-31 Virginia Tech. Line would is three right now, Hokies as a road. Favorite. Um, Brian, first time for everything, right? Yep. Well, I, I can't do it because ah. I, I can't I, I, because they, my faith. Picking against the, the good guys. Picking against the good guys. Hope I'm wrong. Hope I'm wrong by a lot of points. Um, but what I saw last week is when we got down in that red zone was atrocious. And I think that's going to bite us in the ass this week. I think we're going to move the ball more on them than they will on us. I just think we're going to come up short and have Brian Johnson kicking field goals versus stuffing it in the end zone because we're going to do some stupid play calling inside the 15, inside the 10 that backs us up or slows us down. And I hate saying that. I, I really do. I, that's the scenario I can see happening. I just – I I I don't think they're gonna throw back to back clunkers out like that. So that that's the thing that I'm leaning I on. I, I definitely I definitely see your point, man. So I'm going Louisville thirty one thirty. I think they just convert more times down in the red zone than we do. I think we kick more field goals and they get us by a hair and we're sitting Saturday night about ten thirty and hopefully you get to joke on me Saturday night about 1030 because um, I don't want to be right. But that, that I've got to go with what I'm feeling and what I'm seeing, and I want this team to prove it to me. Okay. Okay. So you got 31-30? 31-30 Louisville. So you're saying we're going to be in – we're going three touchdowns, three field goals. Going to struggle putting some of those drives away. We're going to get down there more. We are not going to convert as many times as them. Okay. So you think they're going to be four out of five? Yep. Okay. Well, I don't. Well, you, you keep mentioning about three. I think they're going to get at least one, maybe two deep balls. We saw it in Carolina, and and that's okay. But I also think they're going to hit some more and get down there. When they get down, they're going to convert. We're going to get down there a lot more. We're just not going to convert because we're going to do something that doesn't make sense. There's going to be a play where we're sitting at the four-yard line with first and goal, 
and the interior line has been getting and just wiping out their inside linebackers, and we're going to try like some fake toss. We're going to go toss short side or toss weak side. <laughs> just something that makes no sense. And and luckily, I will have to keep my uh, my mouth kind of quiet. We will be going over to the in-laws to do a uh, Halloween candy hunt in the year ah. of COVID. Um, we'll get to watch the game, but won't get to curse loudly. All right, Brian, let's flip it. ACC picks. Let's do a recap real quick. Last week, last week you came out the gate firing five and zero, oh, and then lost three straight games thanks to Miami, thanks to Minnesota, and I think your third. I can't remember who it was, but five and three. I was four and four. Saved late by Michigan. Um, this week we're going <laughs> we're going four in conference, three out of conference. Some pretty good games. Some some couple. We've got four double-digit lines that we have to make a bet on this week, Brian, so it's going to be really interesting. Let's start with the team we just played. They're playing Syracuse this week. Syracuse, Wake Forest. Wake Forest laying 10.5 points. Brian, since you were so gracious to lead the last one, I'm going to lead this one. Give me Wake Forest and give me the points. Um, I think Syracuse played the best they could play last weekend. I think they're going to come down a little bit. I think – I think Wake Forest win this game by 17 with their sound defense, solid run game, and effective passing game. I am right there with you, and there's zero recency bias attached to this. <laughs> slash S. Yeah, sorry, there's a little sarcasm there. There's definitely some recency bias attached here. There's no way for me to really separate that, but I still think Wake is the better team, and I think they're at least a 13-point um, 13-point winner here, so give me Wake and then points. All right. The next game, the biggest spread of the week we're picking, Boston College, Clemson. Clemson laying 17 points less than last week, but laying still 30 and a half points against BC. Brian, what are you feeling on this one? Oh. Clemson, Clemson, Clemson. You, know, you, you, you didn't really show up last week the way we thought you would. Well, no, no. We, we were on the right side last week. 47 is just a lot of points to lay against any team. It's true. It's true. Um, I'm with you if you're taking Clemson because I do think they come out with a little a little stingier this week. Yeah, I, th- I think they're going to be playing with a little more chip, a little more urgency after, you know, having about a half where they were never pressed, but it was closer than they wanted it to be. Yeah. So I think they come out a lot more focused this week. I'm going to take Clemson laying the 30 and a half. Me too. Well, I think also what BC likes to do plays into what Clemson's strength is this year, which is their secondary. So, yeah, I think Dracovic is going to have a pretty rough game. Both of us laying the 30 and a half at Clemson. All right, Brian, we have another big line here. We're at <laughs> Notre Dame. Notre Dame laying 20 points. Now, Brian, Georgia Tech has burned you numerous times this year. Numerous times. Of late, Notre Dame has also burned me, though. These, these have been the two teams 
Yeah, but these have been the two teams that I think have been the most unpredictable, even though Notre Dame on the top end, on the beneficial side in terms of still still winning the game, but not convincingly. And then Georgia Tech, you know, beating a team like uh, you know, FSU and Louisville, but just getting smoked by a team like Syracuse. So yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. But I, I do say this. I, I do think because of Notre Dame's defense has been its one consistent all year. One consistent all year. Less the FSU game with the new quarterback where they hadn't had any tape. They really haven't given up a lot of points. Um, I think they can cover this. I really think I see them like running 31, you know, 31, 10, 35, you know, 14. So I'm going to say a vote of no confidence in Georgia Tech's offense. It's a vote no, of no confidence. Notre Dame is just too sound of a defense <laughs> with enough athletes. You know, that's that's the issue where Georgia You're Tech essentially saying has. Notre Dame is going to get to 28 and Georgia Tech's not going to break seven. <laughs> Something like that. Okay. I'm right there with you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I am right there with you. Notre Dame, lay in the 20, Georgia Tech, get the hell out of Dodge, man. I'm tired of you. (laughs) (laughs) You will not screw me again. (laughs) Or will they? Dun, dun, dun. All right, Brian, let's uh, UVA, UNC. Just up the road here, UNC laying seven points. What do you think? I, that just seems like a low line. What has UVA done anywhere, anything to be impressive? And somebody said, well, they kept Miami to 19 points. That game was in a monsoon, and yeah. Miami continued to drive the ball every time they touched it. The, the one thing, and let's talk about this a little bit. What's been the one thing that's really hurt UVA's defense most this season? If you've watched any of their games, uh, what's been uh, different this year that they that they couldn't that they were really good at last year that they're not really great at this year? Pass rush. Uh, I'm thinking uh, stopping the deep ball on the field. Okay. What What does Miami not do well? Well, they're they're an air raid. They're an yeah, air they raid. Drive the ball down the field. So yeah. the one thing that that Miami could take advantage of is probably the one thing they were least equipped to take advantage of. So. Add to that the conditions of the game and everything else. I'd say that's more of an aberration than necessarily an indication of where UVA is. Um, other than one game, UNC's looked pretty good to great. Um, I hate both of these teams, but I'm taking UNC laying the seven. I'm, I'm with you, too. I don't see... I just don't see how it's a seven. And you can say, well, you know, they did lose to Florida State. Well, okay. But Florida State at least has some athletes on the outside and an athletic quarterback. I mean, UVA, I mean, we laid last week and they burned us because they got that touchdown late. I think we were, it was, they got to 12. And Miami would keep getting down there. We're like, okay, here comes the score that we're going to get back to over 12 and a half. And they didn't. 
UVA, I don't think UNC has beat both programs like it in the state both times. I think they will this year. Um, lay the seven points and and just try to figure out why it is that low. All right, Brian, let's go out of conference. Let's head over to the hey. Big 12. Texas versus Oklahoma State. Um, Oklahoma State is only laying three and a half. We got the hook last week. The hook got us. They they won that game by three. I believe Iowa State scored a late something to get it back with them. And I'm going to go back and look up that because, you know, I was doing stuff during that game. Um, well, primarily I was over in my neighbor's yard during that game last week. What am I talking about? But let me look here. Yes, Iowa State with 49 seconds left scored a touchdown. To beat this bad beat. The bad, bad beat. beat. Bad beat. <laughs> Iowa State has a good defense, right? We we agree, Matt Campbell, pretty good defense. Has Texas yeah. stopped anybody this year? No. The <laughs> they, they they stopped Baylor. And yeah. Baylor's COVID riddled. The other games that Texas has played, they gave up fifty-three to Oklahoma. They gave up thirty-three to TCU. They gave up 56 <laughs> to Texas Tech. Second Texas week Tech is still scoring on them. Yes, they are still scoring on them. <laughs> Oklahoma State, second week with their quarterback back. I think they take the Longhorns to the shed. Maybe this could be it for Herman. This could be the game that if he loses, I don't think they fire him until the end of the year because of the money situations, but I think Oklahoma State here. We are agreeing a lot here, buddy, and I'm okay yeah. with that because it's better to be right than be interesting. <laughs> exactly. You also got a lead, too. I gained a little bit on you for the last couple of weeks, but you gained them back on me last week. So That's right, man. I, you know, I'm right there with you. Second week with the quarterback back, playing a defense that is bad to awful. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just don't think Texas has enough on offense to keep up with what Okie State's going to do uh, to that defense. So, yeah, I'll take Okie State, lay the three and a half, man. All I right. think it's probably closer than the experts think, you know, some people that are talking about this game, but um, I think it's like a touchdown. You think it's a touchdown? Do both teams break 30? Yeah. All right. All right. I think I'd say like 35, 42, somewhere in that range. I'm trying to see something here. Give me a second. And it's a four, it's a 4 PM game. So won't be seeing that one or maybe we'll be seeing that one along with watching the Hokies. All right, let's go to sec country next, Brian Auburn, LSU, LSU lane, three points. Uh, what do you think, Brian? Um, this one's tough, man. Neither team has really been great this year relative to kind of what people were kind of putting on them to start the season. Um, I think we had a lot of questions about LSU. I think Auburn's probably underperformed relative to what we kind of thought we were going to be, um, especially after week one. I'm going to take actually Auburn to win this one outright. Ryan takes Auburn. Not so fast. You are out of your mind on this. 
Have you not seen how many games that Auburn has won because of the officiating? I have. I have. Yeah, you have. Um, do you think that they want a team ranked by the name of LSU in a few weeks when LSU goes and plays Alabama? <laughs> they certainly would prefer that, yes. Yes, they would. And I don't care if this is on the planes or not. LSU scored 52 last week against a better defensive team in South Carolina. This is my legal limit bet right here. Okay. Maybe three. Okay. I see LSU winning this one at least by 17. Wow. Okay. Okay. I think they're going to blow the doors off of them. I really do think they're going to blow the doors off of them. Um, both, both of these teams have really had like an interesting start to the season. So it's, it's really hard to peg where it is. I, I agree with you on some of the officiating things with Auburn. I don't know, man. I mean, this is one of the few seasons where teams can score points on LSU. So kind of all bets are off. <laughs> it is, but that offense down at Auburn hasn't done too, too much. So you, you say Auburn wins outright. I say LSU wins big covers. All right, let's get to Big Ten country next round for really what is the game of the week, Penn State, Ohio State, in Happy Valley, which whether you love Penn State, hate Penn State, love Ohio State, hate Penn State, (laughs) true, regardless, regardless whether you love them or hate them, this game usually Penn State would be the whiteout game, which is a cool-ass tradition, and again, COVID this year, that's the stuff we're missing. That's True. the stuff where you yearn to get back to because as much as we dislike both programs, if somebody said we got tickets, you guys can go to both of these stadiums, and we'd look and say, well, what's Virginia Tech's game? When are they playing? Is it over? No, we'd go in a heartbeat. So for this one, Brian, Ohio State road favorite. Usually you hear road favorite, you think what? Field goal, maybe touchdown. Yeah. Eleven and a half. That is so many points. That and is because of that and how Penn State likely will play this game. I think Penn State can keep it close enough. I think Ohio State's gonna win probably by either probably I'd say by ten points. So I'm going to be cutting it close, but I think Penn State stays with them. Um, you know, last week we saw during that Ohio State Nebraska game, the pieces I saw, a lot of targeting penalties on Nebraska, getting rid of some of their better players on the back end. Um, I think that's not cleaned up, but I just think this kind of game they swallow the whistles a little bit more. Give me Penn State late eleven and a half. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm right there with you, man. Oh my god, we have one disagreement. <laughs> and and I'll tell you why. So two things here. Number one, I don't think OSU is as lucky as they were. Not not saying that they weren't going to win that game handily, but yeah. I don't think they're as lucky as they were last week. And I think Penn State plays with a chip this week after that last second, oh, holy shit, game of inches moment that they lost to uh, last week. 
I mean, and there were some coaching issues on there in terms of how, like, managing clock at the end of the game and areas oh, where – not taking a knee? Yeah, yeah. There, there, oh. So there's a lot of a lot of problems that, that led to Indiana getting the opportunity, which they took full advantage of once they did get the opportunity there. So I think Penn State cleans up those things, and I think they keep it close. I think it's like somewhere between a, a six and eight point victory for OSU, but I don't think it's it's it, it meets that eleven and a half line. So give me Penn State. I'll take them eleven and a half against Ohio State. All right, we'll book it down. All right, all right. What you smoking, Sieg, this weekend? All right, this weekend I'm doing some spatchcock chicken. Go on. Going just going just sm- smoking a spatchcock chicken straight up. Probably gonna do some some fun sides with it. Maybe maybe some smoked baked beans to go along on the side. But uh, gonna keep it more simple this weekend. Um, nothing nothing too crazy. Um, I always love doing spatchcock chicken. It cooks pretty quick, pretty even. Get some chicken so good with some smoke flavor in there. So any any, any fowl usually usually takes smoke really well. Always does, man. Always does. Anything breaking in the last hour or so that we've been recording? Oh, man. Uh, I don't see anything of note. I think we're good. Um, I did see a couple people, including myself, debating whether mac and cheese belongs on a on a plate. And I'm, I'm definitely in the hell yes category. <laughs> on a plate? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh what? Yeah, yeah kind of like you know, you know the traditional like soul food plate. You got some fried chicken, mac and cheese, collards, and cornbread, and someone's like, "Take the mac and cheese off the plate." No, and I'm like, no, no. The fuck? no. What's wrong with you? No. <laughs> so th- th- there's a debate about the mac and cheese situation, but you know, we at the Boundary Corner Podcast always put the mac and cheese on the plate. So, all right, all right, there we go. Well, that will wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe for your podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Okies. Okay.